Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Uh, today is going to be tough. It's not going to be tough just for some of us. It, should, it, it will probably be tough for uh, all of us because we made a commitment several years ago that we would let, we would let God deal with us with his word. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, But that sucks sometimes. And um, that's the commitment, though. That's one of the things that makes us different from the world, is that we've got a king, and he has orders, and sometimes we don't like them and sometimes they're very uncomfortable and sometimes, sometimes they cause us to lose friendships and sometimes... They ostracize us from the middle. Um, But I don't know what else we should expect from a king whose mission statement is, follow me and die. We probably should have checked into this a little bit more before we jumped on board if we were expecting anything different. I don't say this is going to be tough because I look forward um, to making your life complicated. Uh, It complicated my life earlier in this week. So it only makes sense that I should bring and bestow upon you the same wonderful gift. When God's word is preached and when God's people tune their ear to his voice, three things happen. We experience conviction from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of making us holy. The second thing that happens is we eventually experience God's forgiveness third thing that happens is we begin to experience the restoration of relationships and the restoration of self and the restoration of coming in contact with God and being made whole again. First, we come in contact with this word that pushes against everything in us. Second, we experience this this thing that when we finally cave and we repent, we experience his forgiveness and his love and his grace. And then third, we experience the restoration of us as people, being made whole by God. Now, in the past, when we've talked about gossip, some of you left here and said, that's too bad. That's too bad. You found yourself guilty of the sin of gossip. If you went home and you repented, then you experienced God's forgiveness. And then you experienced the restoration that came with that and how he empowered, you empowered him to move in and change your behavior. When we've talked about sexual sin, whether it be adultery, pornography, lust, what we've seen is this. It confronts us and we go, oh, this is uncomfortable and I don't like it. But then when we repented, something happened. We experienced God's forgiveness. 
We empowered him to move into our life and change our behavior. And then we begin to see that all the betrayal was then turned into restoration. Begin to put us back together again. So today's topic will be no different than them. In a congregation this size, in a community where we live, right in the buckle of the Bible belt, it doesn't matter. The minute you take the topic of abortion and you put it in the middle of a group, sides just begin to form. People begin to flee. But what I want to encourage you to do today is this. Tune your ear to God's word. Don't hide in your emotion. Don't hide in your regret. Don't hide in your hate. Do not hide in your self-righteousness. Well, I'm not one of those, and I don't believe that, so therefore, I must be better. No, I just want you to tune your ear to what God has to say today. Now, I realize that when you talk about a topic like this, just like when we talk about gossip, or we talk about adultery, or we talk about sexual sin of any type, we will step on toes. That is not the intention. It's not at all the intention. The intention is to hear what God has to say to us. If this is you, and abortion has affected your life in some way, I have three things that I want to tell you about. Three things that I think are important before we move on. If this is you, and a topic like this hits you right dead square in the heart, and I need to tell you these three things. Number one, the love and grace of God is big enough to take your sin. Though it is scarlet, you will be made white as snow. Second thing is this. If this is you, your place in this congregation, in this fellowship, is not compromised. We are broken in this church from the top to the bottom. Your place at the table with us is not compromised in any way. We love you as we love anybody else who walks in here. Third thing that I want to tell you is this, is if abortion has affected your life, that has been a decision that you have made somewhere in your history, And you have wrestled with the guilt and you've wrestled with the regret and you've wrestled with the burden of the whole thing. That I want to ease your mind for just a moment. There will be a day where you will come face to face with that child. Where you will meet them. In a place where regrets are gone. In a place where explanations are not needed in a place of perfect love with God. If this is you, take heart. Listen to what the Lord has to say. Do not hide in your shame. With Egypt to their backs, Pharaoh in the rear view mirror, the only single survivor of Pharaoh's infanticide some 75 years prior, a man named Moses. 
the only graduating senior in about three different classes, the only kid his age everywhere in all of Egypt. He had no friends his own age. They'd all been killed. And now in this strange turn of events, now Moses is the leader. He grew up in Egypt and then he fleed and then God brought him back to Egypt and said, get the rest of my people and let them loose, bring them out of there. And so now he goes and he brings them out of Egypt, which was quite a trying time. And just as they get on the other side of the Red Sea, they begin to breathe. <sighs> Maybe we're going to make it. A lot of commentators and historians, they refer to this time period where the Hebrew people are in the desert with God and wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They refer to that period as the bridal period of God and his people. Interesting, isn't it? The bridal period. It's the honeymoon. Is God weird or what? I just want it to be me and you. I set up a great B&B, &B, an Airbnb. You know where it is? In the desert. It'll just be me and you. Will there be food? <laughs> Sweet. Is there water? <laughs> I'll have everything we need. <sighs> this sounds like it's going to suck. And God takes his people and he moves them out into the wilderness. And there, like all good husbands and wives do, at those first beginning stages of their relationship, God begins to outline what his expectations are in this relationship. I expect faithfulness. Call me old-fashioned. But I expect faithfulness. I expect loyalty and if you will give me that, I'll give you everything. The people just, oh. The prophets would say, God wooed them. Oh, I got to play racquetball yesterday. Now that doesn't mean anything to you. But when I met Katie, do you know what we spent our time doing? Racquetball. And when her and I got into that little racquetball court and we shut the door and our voices were echoing in there, I was swept back to, to Ozark Christian College and I think about all the funny conversations we were having and all the things that I know now about her that I didn't know then. Oh, it was so cool. There was a cool little spark between us the rest of the day. We got to go back to a place made such an impact. It's just racquetball. It's a stupid blue ball and a miniature racket. It's a stupid thing. But man, it took me back to the days when I wooed her, where I impressed her with my athleticism. <laughs> where I would say things to her and make her laugh. Oh, to to be in that racquetball court again was so cool. And the prophets would say, God took you to the desert, and there he wooed you. He whispered sweet nothings in your ear. That's where you fell in love with God, and you know that's true. Where did you fall in love with God? Did you fall in love with God in your prosperity? 
Did you fall in love with God when things were just absolutely wonderful? Is that where you met him? Right there by Ed McMahon? And the giant cardboard check. Is that where you met? Is that where you met Jesus right there? No, I would, I would say you did not. I would almost bet that where you met him was in the desert. In a place to where you're thinking to yourself, I can't keep doing this. I can't. My life is falling apart. My marriage is terrible. My kids are terrible. My job is terrible. I am terrible. And that's where he stepped in and said, we should go to the desert together, you and me. Let me woo you there. It's unfortunate, but God rarely invites us to places such as that. He just takes us there. Come on, I know what you need. No, 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 no. Please, no. No, I know what you need. And God is doing this with Israel. They're not Israel yet. They're the Hebrew people. And he gets them out there and he tells them something. And it's kind of a strange thing that he tells them. He tells them, this is what I expect in our relationship for you to be faithful. To stand your ground and to be who you are. And to do the things that I say are best for this relationship. Let me lead you. And one of the things he says is this. And it just sounds so out there. But God knows something that we don't know. God says to the Hebrew people, when you get into the land of Canaan, the promised land that, that I'm going to give you, do not sacrifice your children to the god Molech and profane my name. Don't. Okay. Wasn't, wasn't on my to-do list. At all. The idea of child sacrifice was not something new to the Hebrew people. In fact, their own forefather, Abraham, had a very, very close call with Yahweh himself. God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave your father and mother. Come with me out to a land that I will show you. And there I will make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Okay. And he went. And God was faithful. But you see, Abraham didn't know God like we understand God. You see, we have the opportunity to read Scripture and understand his personality and his character. We have this this thing of Jesus that we see in Scripture, and that gives us an idea of what God is like. Abraham didn't have that. You know what he had? A voice. Go. Okay. Stay. Okay. Take your firstborn son and kill him. Abraham knows who's in charge. It's clear. It's this voice. It's this voice, God, if you will. And God is in charge. No matter how, how hard he prayed for this son, no matter how upset his wife is going to be, he's going to do what the voice says. And so he bundles up his boy and he takes him to a mountaintop. He unsheathes his knife and he begins to go to work on his own kid. 
And in that moment, God stops him. A teachable moment. One Abraham will not forget. One he will pass on to the next generation. Our God does not want a human sacrifice. I saw it firsthand. He stopped it. I got the lesson. He made it very clear. He walked me all the way up to it, and he stopped me. I know who my God is, and he loves life. Do not sacrifice your children in the fires of the god Molech. Leviticus chapter 18. But the unfortunate thing is this. Within a couple of generations, they were doing just that. How do you get there? How do you get to that place? How does a culture shift so much that God steps in, he rescues you from all of your trouble, he marches you into the desert, he woos you, tells you about him. You begin to fall in love with him and then somehow within a generation or two, we are taking babies and we're tossing them into the belly of Molech. If you don't know what Molech is, it's a giant two-story statue. It's a great big huge man body, and the head is a bull. He's got arms that are slanted like this that, that create a shoot, like a slide. And in the belly is a furnace. And during the ceremonies of worshiping Molech, the god of prosperity, fertility, the god of comfort, the god of convenience, the god of selfishness, the god of fertility. Parents would bring their firstborn and they would go up this incline or up on a pedestal and they would take the child and they would toss him in on the hands of Molech and into the belly of the furnace. And their belief was this, the cries from the children are the prayers that go up to Molech. How do you get there? How do you get there? This was a weird week. Because multiple things happened this week that left me feeling that same way. How do you get there? How do you get there? And oh, I wanted to, I wanted to lash out. In all my self-righteousness, I wanted to lash out. How do you get there? Here's one thing that happened this week that was really strange to me. The memorial that we built to commemorate the lives lost on 9-11. The th almost 3,000 lives that were lost on 9-11. That memorial that we built, the One World Trade Center, we lit up pink to celebrate what is referred to as the most aggressive 
abortion law ever. The strangeness of it to me is this. It's called the Reproductive Health Act. Here's what else is weird. I read plenty of articles on this through the week and listened to interviews. And you know what the, you know what the, the phrase that was used over and over? We're going to listen to this, listen to the word usage. Secure. Establish. Women's rights for the future. For the future? You're going to talk future? Somehow ending... Whose rights? What women? Obviously not some women, but other women. Now, do I have a problem with them? No, of course I don't have a problem with women having rights or even health rights. God created you with intrinsic value. (coughs) The only thing different between you and men is gender and God's plan for you. He created you to do a thing, and he created us to do a thing. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about health. We're talking about something uglier than that. It's a strange deal, because at the same time, National Geographic puts out an article the same week. Here's what the article was called. What made this ancient society sacrifice its own children? The same week, National Geographic takes this story about these two locations in Peru where they found hundreds of bodies. And what they're saying is this was human sacrifice, child sacrifice. They use the phrases like, Terrible fate, victims. It was a somber, somber article. Yet in the same week, we're celebrating something that's just really strange. The CDC reports this since 1970. There have been 45.7 million abortions. That is the population of the state of Kansas killed 15 times. 45.7 million. And I look at where we are and I say, how did we get here? How did we get here? How does that happen? And a part of me just kind of goes into seclusion and I'm in my office and I'm pondering this this, the strangeness of where we are. And I hear this haunting, honest voice say to me, Jared, are you really pro-life? Am I pro... Lord, you know that I am pro-life. I am 100% vehemently against abortion. Yes, Jared, I I understand that you're against abortion, but but what I'm asking is, are you pro-life? 
Lord, when I go to the polls, that's the thing that I vote on. And you can call it simple, but I don't care. It's just the thing that I vote on. It makes up my mind. Because it's, it's what I've explained to my kids. Lord, here's what I've said to my kids. I never want there to be a day to where God looks at me and he says, did you ever write off your approval on killing babies? And I want to be able to say, not one time. Not one time. And I hear God say, but, but Jared, does that really make you, make you pro-life? Lord, I, th I think maybe I don't know what you're asking. Jared, you, you're talking about a situation that is, that is terribly, terribly demonic and, and bad. It's tragic. It's murderous. I agree with you 100% being against abortion is, is, is right. But Jared, are you, are you pro-life? God, I'm so... I don't think I know what you mean. I don't think I completely understand what it is you're saying. I, I, if you're asking me, would I ever take my child and put them on that, on that metal chute down into the belly of a furnace, then the answer is no. I would never do that. And God says, I know you wouldn't. You never would. I know you wouldn't. But Jared, does that mean? And he just kept coming back with that same question. Does that mean? pro-life oh sure sure you would never take your child and put them into the hands of some demonic god and slide it down into the furnace but jared you've taken your children and you put them into the hands of other things haven't you you've taken your sweet ones and you put them into the hands of popular music that glorifies sex and violence. You've done that, haven't you? You put them into the hands of, of other things, haven't you? Oh, sure, you would, you would never toss your child in a furnace, but you've stoked the fire inside of them that's going to want them to just stray and walk away and never listen to anything that you have to say to them. You've done that because you refused to teach them, right? You refused to invest in them and to talk about me with them. You've done that though, right? I'm pro-life. But are you? You see, it's one thing to say, I'm against that. But disobedience is disobedience. One of our crest icons, Psalm 78.4, this is our verse. I want to read it to you. My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, 
things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. Jared, I hear you say you're pro-life, but you know what marks pro-life for me? Obedience. You perpetuating a generation that will not stop talking about me. Did you teach your children? Yes, Jared, you've, you've, you've done a mediocre job of teaching your children about me. But do you hear what it says? Teach your children to teach their children. How does a culture get there, God? How does a culture get where we are? Jared, it's easy. When we stop teaching our children to teach their children, society gets there. How do we lose generations? That's how we lose generations, because we stopped doing the thing we should have done. I begin to hear God say something along the lines of, do you think the culture got where it is now because sinners just sit around and invent new things to sin with and for and to do? Is that what you think? Is that how the culture gets here? Because sinners just keep getting stronger over and over. Is that what you think, Jared? Is that not true? No, that's not true. Do you know why the culture gets where the culture is? When Christians will invoke the name of Jesus, but will not take up his cross. We will use it, and we will call on him, but we will not take up the cross. For comfort, for convenience, for prosperity, for me, 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 those are the reasons that we will not take up the cross. And I begin to hear the Lord say, you want to know how we get here? It's just when Christians stop doing the thing I've asked them to do. You're going to blame the world for acting like the world? You're going to blame sinners for acting like sinners? We have a thing to do that we were asked to do, told commanded to do. That's a commitment that we made in this church. That we will raise our kids to raise their kids, knowing about all the wonderful things about who the Lord is, his power and his might. Here's my question. Are you pro-life or not? Because 
That's what matters. If we are, it's more than a Facebook status. It's more than filling in the circle at the polls, being pro-life. Those are not our standard. Our standard is set by our king. And his standard is if you are this, then this is what you do. And that's what he calls us to do. Let's pray. God, we want to first recognize our unfortunate association with the things that have happened in the world that we live in. But somewhere down the line, some of this falls on us. We want to recognize that in front of you, and we want to ask that you will forgive us of that. Lord, that you will empower us to take the right steps that we need to take to help correct a corrupt world. Lord, empower us to make the decisions we need to make even when they're difficult. Lord, please forgive us for the role we played, for the hand we had and where things have gone. Lord, forgive us of our self-righteousness in the moments that we've blasted other people, Lord, when we are guilty just the same. But we ask that you will give us the strength to be what it is you've asked us to be, Lord, not just pro-life as a label, but to be so for life, as in the, the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, that we will take your word serious and we will carry it out or that we will tell the next generation to tell the next generation we love you and we thank you for your forgiveness and we thank you for your son the ultimate sacrifice and he who would lay his own life down for us we pray that you will open up our hearts to him it's in Jesus name we pray amen have a good afternoon.